Welcome everybody. This is Tap Out Talk. I'm your host, Brian the Hype Ballard. And what are we going to do tonight? We're going to get into a little bit of history with the WWE. The King of the Ring, 1993, here on a retro review with the results and thoughts. So, this happened on June 13th, 1993, as mentioned, in Dayton, Ohio, in the Nutter Center, as the WWE investment man like to say, the heartland of America. The event had actually a small attendance of 6,500 fans, but that didn't stop the action from happening and from this classic event to be made. On commentary, we had the ever-popular Jim Ross making his second major pay-per-view debut rookie year in the WWF then. We have Macho Man Randy Savage and Bobby the Brain Heenan. And I will say that these three proved how a three-man commentary team can get it done and get it done right. And actually, they did really well this night despite having most difficulties throughout the night that you wouldn't even realize. We're going to talk about that and more on the show tonight. So without further ado, let's get in. So I want to start off and I want to talk about the King of the Ring tournament in general. King of the Ring 1993 was technically the seventh edition of the King of the Ring tournament. So before we get started on this seventh tournament that was in 1993, this was the first televised tournament of the King of the Ring that you was able to actually watch on pay-per-view. So I want to talk about the first six winners. That way you guys have a full perspective of its enriched history and how deep-rooted it was in the WWF. So, our first winner of the first ever tournament was the magnificent Don Morocco, who was now King Don, and he became the first ever King of the Ring many years ago in 1985 on July 8th, defeating the Iron Sheik. The second King of the Ring tournament winner, you guys may remember King Harley Race when he came to the WWF. King Harley Race defeated Pedro Morales in 1986 and kept the King moniker going for many, many years until maybe one of the most famous kings, the Macho King Randy Savage, defeated King Kong Bundy in 1987 to become the third ever man to win King of the Ring tournament. But then, we're going to continue on with everybody has a price for the King of the Ring tournament. The Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, defeated Randy Savage to win the King of the Ring tournament in 1988. And maybe that's how he got all that money. Maybe he paid for the tournament. Maybe he, being king, has its price. So then ultimately, we get into our next King of the Ring winner in 1989, the breakup of the Tag Team Strike Force as Riva Tito Santana defeats Rick the Model Martel in order to become the fifth King of the Ring. And finally, the sixth King of the Ring winner was none other than Brett the Hitman Hart. He defeated IRS, Erwin Scheister in 1991 to become King Brett the Hitman Hart, who actually is going to be in this first televised tournament in 1993, and we're going to see how he is going to do. So, we are told that the first round matches of this tournament will have a 15 minute time limit, 
the semifinal matches will have a 30 minute time limit and the finals will get one hour. That's right, in order to be king of the ring in this tournament, you have to beat one man, then another, and then another, all in a single night to be the illustrious seventh annual king of the ring. So, in this tournament, we have Brett the Hitman Hart versus Uzi Machismo Reza Ramon. We also have Mr. Perfect versus the Mr. Powerful Hughes in a very big man versus technical brawler. We also have Hacksaw, Mr. America Jim Duggan versus the Beast from the East, Bam Bam Bigelow. And then in the other, other matchup in the tournament, the Native American Tatanka versus the narcissist Lex Luger making his rookie debut in the WWE. Without further ado, let's get into our first matchup. And that first matchup was a showcase of a showdown with Brett the Hitman Hart against his longtime rival, Ulzin Machismo himself, Reza Ramon. Reza Ramon, as he enters the ring, is taunted by the crowd with the chance of one, two, three. And back then in 93, this was fresh off of Razor losing to a random jobber kid named the 123 Kid, who actually was Sean Waltman. You guys might know him better as X Pac or Six later on in his career. It was Razor Ramon that made his career for him and helped this kid get elevated. Brett, basically, this match starts off and Brett's shoulder blocks have zero effect because Razor has a big size advantage. Brett wisely goes to an arm drag and takes over every chance that he gets. Razor body slams Brett, who never releases the arm, and rolls back into the arm bar. Brett is great and really, really just a great technical wrestler, and he kind of gets, you know, he's been in the business a long time. A good old-fashioned thumb to the eye is effective, though, against those technical wrestlers, but Brett just goes right back into a hammer lock. Razor sends Brett into the post, shoulder first, and now in control, Razor is getting very arrogant and cocky, man, and he's slapping Brett a few times. There's then a fall-away slam, and Razor goes for the pin, and it's a one and a two. He goes for a British Bulldog with a running power slam style move, and he gets another near fall. Brett gets out of the way. There's a few elbows. They start firing away on the Razor Ramon. And as the crowd is going wild, he uses the side Russian leg sweep, just like you know the Hitman can do. He's the excellence of execution, which was the only basically um, good for one of those wrestling historical kind of moves. He busts out a very good backbreaker and a second rope elbow for another one and a two. But it makes me honestly realize that Brett's offense is maybe not much for the bad guy. We see Brett take a lot of hits, sternum uh, first into the corner, and Razor tries the Razor's edge, and Brett is up, and Brett is kicking his legs, and he slips free, and he tries a backslide, but he can't overpower his opponent, so he walks up to the corner, and he flips over backwards, and he gets a two count for a, such a close moment in the heartland of America with a small package then. I thought it was gonna be over at this point in time, but Razor sets him up for a second rope back suplex, but Brett counters 
and then lands on top of him for the one, the two, and the three. Bret Hart advances in the tournament with a win at the 10 minute and 25 second mark. I want to tell you guys, this matchup, I felt was like a very good matchup. And actually, I'm going to say tonight, Bret Hart was showcased really well in this tournament. And fun fact, let's see if we can find a sharpshooter done by Bret in the 93 King of the Ring tournament. So as we move on, let's see if that actually happens. He did not use it in this opening match. So let's move on to our next opening round match. And that's keeping up with the King of the Ring action. That is Mr. Perfect versus the very powerful Curtis Hughes or Mr. Hughes, the big bodyguard. So we actually um, get Mr. Hughes and he just gets kind of a jobber's entrance. He doesn't really get any kind of music or anything. And so he's already in the ring by the time we get back from a backstage quick touch base. And wow, Mr. Perfect gets way, way over with the crowd. Randy Savage picks Mr. Perfect to win the entire tournament. It's very interesting. Early on, um, Hughes shows off his power advantage by tossing Mr. Perfect into the corner. Um, Perfect nails a drop kick, but falls victim to Hughes and his big strength again. And it was during this match, we actually get um, Bret Hart appears in the corner in picture in picture style. And they are interviewing him about his win. And they're asking him who he'd rather face, Mr. Perfect or Curtis Hughes. And Bret answers and says, well, with Mr. Hughes, you have a very big power match. And he says, but with Mr. Perfect, it's all about endurance. And he goes, I like my technical wrestling over endurance than power. I'll take Mr. Perfect. So at this point, Perfect nails a drop tick, but falls victim to Hughes' strength once again. He tries to rally, but he runs into a big boot while Perfect continues to bump all over the place, just like he can. We get to, again, Brett talking a little bit. And then Mr. Perfect gets... Um, his big baby face comeback on Mr. Hughes and he strikes him and Mr. Hughes actually has the Undertaker's urn in this storyline as he's stolen it and that was part of the storyline from Wrestlemania Mr. Hughes actually stole this urn um, this was a kind of weird time in the Taker's timeline but and basically when he strikes Mr. Hughes strikes Mr. Perfect with the urn of the Undertaker that he's been carrying around he actually is disqualified, which makes Mr. Perfect advance in the tournament at the six minute and two second mark. Mr. Hughes was actually managed in the WWE again, and he was managed by none other than Harvey Whippleman. And believe it or not, we probably will see him later in this evening. So I want to talk about that in the final thoughts. So in this I do wonder, um, I realized in this matchup, Mr. Perfect is just good, right? He can wrestle anything. Mr. Hughes was severely underrated in his big man ability. When you watch this match and you kind of see things of him, he can go. And he was you know, definitely trained in the very old school wrestling style of the big man and the art that it is. I remember being a kid and I've actually went to an indie show where Mr. Hughes was at a very young age. And um, he was on the show with the Bushwhackers and Doink the Clown in Ohio. And um, Mr. Hughes, I don't know, left a good impression on me and I was just like, man, this guy really is bigger. Keep in mind, I was a young kid. So we go to a backstage segment where we get a little history of Mean Gene Okerlund interviewing Yokozuna and Mr. Fuji. And in this backstage segment, they're talking a little bit about 
you know, kind of the championship match and how Hawk Hogan stole a victory from Yokozuna, who was the champion at WrestleMania. After he got done with a grueling match with Bret Hart, he took advantage and got a cheap title shot, and Hogan actually stole the title and won the title at WrestleMania 9 for his fifth title reign in the WWF. So, we then go into the next opening round tournament match, which brings us Hacksaw Jim Duggan, the ever-popular Hacksaw. And he is taking on the beast from the East, Bam Bam Bigelow. Duggan, in this matchup, they start out, Duggan takes down Bigelow and Savage says that Bigelow has credibility. I th basically think credibility, okay. According to the word right now, that's you know the reality of Randy Macho Man Savage on commentary. But we get a slugfest because both guys are pretty much big brawling brutes in their own right. However, we have to move to the bear hug spot that Duggan breaks out by biting him. That's right. Duggan is biting Bam Bam Bigelow to get out of this hole. Duggan goes for the three-point stance, his classic football charge, and he misses and he collides into the turnbuckle. Bigelow climbs to the top and he flies off with a big headbutt. One and a two and a three, and he advances in the tournament at the four minute and 59 second mark. Backstage, we get a quick interview with the Red Rooster, Terry Taylor, and we get him interviewing the Smoking Guns and the Steiner Brothers before their eight-man tag match later tonight. Both teams mention how their finishing moves are unstoppable before Rick Steiner jumps in and barks everyone all over the place. So at this point, then, we get into our next and final opening tournament round match, which is the native Tatanka versus the narcissist Lex Luger. Lex Luger at the beginning of this match is actually forced to put an elbow pad on because of his metal forearm. And the story in the WWE was that metal forearm that he had, that steel plate in his forearm was used to knock people out. So Bobby Heenan make, says to make it fair, we should tie Tatanka's shoes together. Bless him. The fight goes outside for uh, officials and they actually um, are trying to remove Luger's big giant ring from the mirror that he used, but it just didn't work out. Savage mentions that he would love to be the first King of the Ring winner, but again, remember, he honestly was a King of the Ring winner, and the WWE didn't want to seem to acknowledge that very much, or the WWF. He does claim that it feels equal to the WWF title during this match. So the King of the Ring and the WWF title are equal according to Savage. Some interesting commentary tonight by him. So, there was a little bit of Savage putting over the tournament, though, in his own mindset. And while uh, Bigelow during this match appears person in person, tells us what he wants, and he states that he wants to fight Tatanka in this match. And the two guys... Um, in the ring continued to trade basic wrestling back and forth and this match was a little bit longer than the other ones to be um, honest neither guy was uh, really kind of getting it going but they are you know definitely doing their best to try to work I didn't mind the match so far and I like to see the kind of the two styles going at it Tatanka keeps trying to build momentum right and then Luger stops him at every time he just gets something going he does keep the near falls within side cradles and roll-ups. Heenan has the score of because he's got the brain scan going on where he draws on the TV 
and he's got the score of 1,038 to 4 for this match in his brain scan um, analysis. It just makes me realize how great Bobby Heenan was on the microphone, and truly, he's one of my all-time greats when it comes to color commentary. If you guys have never seen his work, just go back and watch any of them. The guy's hilarious. So at this point, Tataka begins to, you know, kind of energize up with the crowd. And with three minutes left, because the countdown's happening, and remember, there is a time limit, a 15-minute time limit on these matches. Three minutes left in this one. And he gets a near fall, including one with a top rope chop, which was one of his signature moves. He goes uh, basically to it again, but misses the crossbody. And there's a big clothesline by Luger, and it gets him a two count. And this time, the same goes for a power slam. And Luger nails a pretty good-looking suplex with 30 seconds left as the clock is ticking. And it's clear, you know, how this might just end. And after a backbreaker, Luger takes too much time to make the cover. And he actually goes so slow that the time limit expires right at the 15-minute mark. That's right, you guys. So it's a draw. And what that means is in the semifinal of the second round of this tournament, Bam Bam Bigelow will actually get a bye and get to go straight to the finals because of this time draw. Now, the match, you know, did its job. It served its purpose. And these guys will actually end up feuding later SummerSlams. But I do want to say, um, yeah, I kind of... Even though it added a dramatic effect, I didn't want the WWF to like get in the habit of using this in a tournament as a way just to make the tournament shorter. So I think it was okay for this first ever, you know, televised King of the Ring. I'm alright with the way it kind of shaked out. So at this point, we get another backstage segment. And in this one, Mean Gene Okerlund is interviewing Mr. Perfect face-to-face -face with none other than his opponent, Brett the Hitman Hart. And Mean Gene puts Brett kind of on blast, honestly, earlier in the night when he says he'd rather fight Mr. Perfect over Mr. Hughes due to his endurance. So it makes a very awkward moment for Brett. And Brett said, you must have misunderstood me. And Mr. Perfect got a little mad saying, oh, you think I'm an easy win. And it gets very awkward. And then the two banter about their fathers. And he says, well, my old man beat your old man. He's like, no, we never did. And they just go back and forth. Um, Mr. Perfect, at this point, um, then also brings up the fact or Brett brings up the fact that you know SummerSlam they did win and that match was an easy one for him but Mr. Perfect then just says all right you know what let's settle this in the ring and he offers his hand to shake Brett's and at the last second he goes in heel mode and he pulls it back and he says I gotcha just like I'm going to get you out there right now Brett Brett looks very awkward like he was just kind of picked on by the perfect protege and at that point, you know, Mean Gene is kind of looking like a little bit of a, a stir of the pot kind of guy. So we go to our very, you know, next tournament match. And that is a really good one between Mr. Perfect and Brett the Hitman Hart. So we did get a mention that Brett's hand is taped up from Razor stomping on his fingers earlier. And there's a wrestling sequence. Um, the opens and there's hip tosses and takedowns and each move looks crisp and pointed out by Heenan in the corner and then we get Perfect unleashing a vicious chop. Mr. Perfect um, Brett sends him to the corner and he hits a scoop slam and Mr. Perfect gets up and nails one of his own before Brett takes over with a headlock and there's a big offensive exchange back and forth. Jim Ross uh, says Jim Ross and he basically he is correct these guys are just going at it and they're getting all crazy 
That was perfectly executed by both men. Brett gets a crucifix for two and back to the headlock. There's a cross body from Brett and the kick out sends him to the outside and he comes in with a sunset flip for a one and a two before going right back to the headlock takeover. Perfect gets out with a knee to uh, the gut and Savage mentions that how he and Perfect both have a very salty past and there's a beautiful drop kick and it's funny because that salty pass comment there was some general animosity between perfect and savage years ago especially on commentary um basically he holds up the ropes for brett to re-enter the ring but nails a cheap shot on him and a super um brett hart is doing anything to win there's a beautiful storytelling in the psychology in this matchup he continues this by driving brett's face in the ring apron and he draws a bunch of boos I tell you what, these guys are just magic in their matchup. From SummerSlam to King of the Ring, anytime these two get in the ring, it's just great stuff. Mr. Perfect hits a well-placed missile drop kick, but Brett gets his foot on the bottom rope just perfectly. And Perfect is frustrated, and he whips Brett for his signature sternum corner bump. Boom! Hitting the chest. And both guys are up top, and now Brett hits a perfect second rope suplex for a one and a two. He kicks to Perfect's leg when he's overselling it like he normally does, just like at SummerSlam. And Brett applies a figure four. And at first, Jim Ross thought Brett was going for his signature and his infamous sharpshooter. But no, it was actually a figure four in the middle of the ring. And he grasps with the ropes, and the damage is done. And basically, like a shark with blood in the water, Brett attacks the leg. And Perfect fights back and locks in the sleeper hold. And he's going down. And Brett's getting groggy. And Brett makes the ropes. Perfect's knee gives out and he slaps it because he's basically feeling everything out and how it is. There's uh, just a nice, you know, psychology and ring talent here. He goes back to the sleeper and he uses the ropes for leverage. Brett breaks it by sending Perfect into the turnbuckle. Brett connects on one of the hardest uppercuts you're ever going to see in your life. So, Basically, um, at this point then, he hair tosses Perfect, and Perfect gets crotched into the ring post. There's an atomic drop, a side rush and leg sweep. We're going for the hitman moves of doom, as they say. And then the pace of this match is just really unreal and shifted it to all the appropriate times. Stiff backbreaker and a second rope elbow for a one and a two. And at the back elbow that looked vicious, the sharpshooter attempted, but Perfect goes for an injured fingers of Brett that they mentioned and they set up in the story at the beginning of this matchup. If you paid attention, it was so cool in the psychology of it. Yes, that's right. It came into play. And I was hoping for that. And I just loved the storytelling. They kind of did that throughout the night with different stuff. And it gave me definitely an old school pay-per-view vibe in the modern era watching this. He steps on the hand. Again, great strategy. He goes for the perfect plex. And remember, the perfect plex was dang near undefeatable at this point. But Brett blocks it. And he suplexes him over to the outside. And that just goes crazy because there's a suplex. And both men are suplexed, holding on to each other as they go over the top rope. And a very good protection of each other. But also, never seen that before. Um, and at that point... You know, we get a count out tease, but Mr. Perfect, I'm thinking, oh no, not another draw. But Mr. Perfect actually pulls Bret Hart by playing possum. And he pulls Bret into a small package for a one and a two. And that's it, because then Bret reverses it on his own and he gets the one, the two, and a three. And Bret Hart wins at the 18 minute and 58 second mark in the semi 
finals matchup in which they did get a 30-minute time limit. So your winner going to the finals is going to be Bam, Bam Bigelow, and Brett the Hitman Hart. Hey guys, before we continue with the action, I just want to say thank you so much for what you do for me. Like, share, and subscribe. Appreciate it. It really helps out the channel, even a simple like. And you know what? Follow me over on Twitter. I enjoy talking wrestling with you guys, at the Brian Adkins. I want to say thanks to my tag team mates over at fansofprowrestling.com, you know, in the Wrestling Fans Insight podcast. Also, I want to say a special shout-out in addition to our other friend, Ted, the Hillbilly Heel with the Heel Truth Podcast. Teddy, I know you're listening, and I appreciate you shouting me out on your shows and always the continued support and, you know, this whole community we built on Twitter, and it's just growing, and it's just a positive wrestling community. So if you guys are down with that, I got two words for you. Click like and go ahead and follow. All right, let's go ahead and get back into the backstage segment where we get a close zoom in on Jimmy Hart. Jimmy Hart managing Hawk Hogan in his crazy airbrushed jackets. So we get a nice picture of that. And as the picture zooms out, we then get a classic Hawk Hogan promo talking about his side of the story at WrestleMania and talking about how he's going to show Hawkamania running wild on Yokozuna coming up right next in the next matchup. And so at that point, we then go to the WWF Championship matchup between the 400 and almost 500 pound Yokozuna at six foot, four inches, going against the power of Hawkamania with Hawk Hogan in the WWF era. And Hogan again in the middle of his fifth WWF title reign. Jim Ross, pay attention to the psychology here. Jim Ross points out how many Japanese cameramen are at ringside. That's gonna come into play. Great psychology by JR. That will be again, huge in the match. They size each other up eagerly, and as this match starts out, they're trying to show who's more powerful. Hogan does a really good job of acting surprised when Yokozuna uh, has the ability to try to basically throw down with him. Um, Yokozuna, slams, Yokozuna slams him like it's nothing. JR asks if anyone can slam Yokozuna, planting the seeds that Hogan might just do that tonight, like he did Andre all those years ago. And for an upcoming SummerSlam angle, it actually ends up being Lex Luger, who you guys will learn will be body slamming, challenging Yokozuna in the future. So Hogan dodges a move and starts to fire off shots. He looks weak compared to, you know, many years ago, but he still has it and he has it going on. He bites Yokozuna because, you know, that's what he wants to do. And then uh, his slam attempt fails as he does a second try on the big man from Asia. Um, Hogan gets some clotheslines, and Yokozuna it was really good at playing the stumbling big man without falling down. He definitely had the big man psychology. He might have worked with Mr. Hughes. Who knows on that? So it's not... Um, a Hogan-style match without a big bear hug, right? And the USA chance, and the USA chance, and Hogan's looking helpless. And then Hogan rallies as he, Bobby Heenan on commentary claims that this should have been on neutral ground. It's unfair that this is in America. And again, it just kind of, you know, states where that should be. He tries a third slam and he fails, but he kicks out and he starts to hawk up. And he's going hawking, he's getting the energy of the crowd at the Nutter Center. And it takes three big boots to knock the big man Yokozuna down to the mat and when have we ever seen three boots needed I want to say maybe 
keep me honest here, guys, when he fought Zeus, it might have taken two. So, a photographer actually at this point um, gets up on the apron. Remember what we mentioned about that psychology and storytelling? Yes, a photographer jumps up on the apron wanting to actually get a photo of maybe this epic moment. And Hogan goes over to him and the camera just explodes in his face. And Yokozuna then drops the leg drop on Hogan due to the exploding fireball coming out of the camera as the cameraman runs out of the way. And that's right, Yokozuna gets the one, the two, and the three at the 13 minute and nine second mark to become the new WWF world champion once again. So, at this point, Yokozuna then drags Hawk Hogan over and squashes him with the bonsai drop. And then, basically, the crowd is looking very bummed. They try to cut some shots of some children crying in the crowd, showing that this could be the end of Hawkamania. And little did we know that that was the case with the WWF. This would be the end of Hawk Hogan and his time with the company until 2002, many years later. And as he would now, we know, go on to WCW and do great things over there and change the industry as a whole for life. But I digress. So let's go ahead. Bobby Heenan makes an interesting comment here. And he says, Bobby the Brain Heenan says, the bright lights of the WWF are too much for Hawk Hogan. He's done in the World Wrestling Federation. We really, really, really did not realize the foreshadowing that Bobby the Brain had going on there. So, a uh, good, fun matchup. Um, I enjoyed, you know, I loved watching Hawk Hogan years ago, and I was definitely a big Yokozuna guy. Um, I felt like this was a good passing of the torch modern era. It was a little weird with the cameraman, and that's how Hawkamania ended, but who knows? That could have been the ending that Hawk Hogan wanted, knowing what he was going to do with the other company in WCW. So we get another backstage segment, and this is Terry Taylor, the Red Rooster, once again interviewing Mr. Perfect, and he doesn't want to really talk because it was a tough loss. He says Bret Hart's a great wrestler, and they've wrestled many times, and he has a respect for him, and then he basically wanted to leave. And then we cut to Mean Gene Okerlund, who is interviewing Shawn Michaels, the current Intercontinental Champion at the time in the WWF. And he calls out Hawk Hogan, and he calls him a dinosaur before Mean Gene asks about Diesel. And Sean reveals um, that his name is actually Diesel for the first time ever. He was just known as his big bodyguard. And this was one of the uh, first times I believe that he actually recognized and gave him the name of Diesel. So, we're not done yet tonight. We got a finals matchup, and we got an intercontinental title matchup. But first, we got an eight-man tag matchup. We got Money, Inc. and the Head Shrinkers with Ava versus the Smoking Guns and the Rick and Scott Steiner, the Steiner Brothers. So this is a quick one and kind of a very mixed tag match. They start off with Scott Steiner against Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man. They perform some nice moves. There's a Steiner line, and it takes DiBiase over and out of the ring. I still don't basically, um, you know, why, why this isn't just a money ink, um, you know, basically losing their belts to the Steiners. Instead, they kind of did this weird tag match. Uh, Barkun and Fatu basically do an exchange, and Fatu shows off, you know, some some athleticism, right? So this was a uh, pre-Rikishi days for him, and so when he was a member of the Head Shrinkers, you know, it kind of gives you some Jimmy and Jey Uso vibes, the early years, 1.0, I guess. 
Um, we get a lot of quick tags with IRS, and DiBiase do some stuff before the head shrinkers nail. Bart with a double backdrop. There's a double axe handle. Love those moves and from IRS, and he gains uh, two before Bart does a sunset flip. Um, there's a lot of points in this match. Uh, one where good old JR refers to um, IRS simply as, I want to say, VK Wall Street, um, or he referred to him as his actual name also and so it was interesting to hear that in the original so billy gets the hot tag and he does his stuff and then completely um with two fingers and the gun stops him at the moment with the eddie gilbert hot shot and then he claims that billy isn't the first cowboy to you know basically get hung wow Eesh. bobby the brain he definitely had a way of words uh dibiase puts billy in the million dollar dream and then just um lets it go really and kind of lets him out of it and then he starts to brag leading him to get pinned with a small package a lot of little flips and roll-ups and small packages tonight so small package and smoking guns and the steiner brothers win at the six minute and 45 second mark and then all the men get in the ring and start fighting and then kind of pandemonium breaks down so at this point we get another backstage segment guys um, so a couple things that happen we're gonna get a breakdown just of what the finals is for the tournament and then also so in this side, I do want to go over this. So here's where we're at. We got Brett advancing and Mr. Perfect advancing in the first round. And then we have Bam Bam Bigelow advancing, but he gets a pass due to the double uh, time limit draw by Tatanka and Luger. So, and then Brett Hart goes on to beat Mr. Perfect in an amazing match, which gives us Brett Hart versus Bam Bam Bigelow in the finals later tonight. Also, we get a backstage segment with the newly crowned WWF champion, Yokozuna. Mr. Fuji. Hey, I love Mr. Fuji. Mr. Fuji actually talks about how he's going to celebrate with Yokozuna. And Mean Gene's asking some kind of off-the-wall questions. Now, but he's asking about, oh, are you going to go to Asia and celebrate? Mr. Fuji says, no, he's going to stay here in America and celebrate. And they really kind of set up the passing of this torch tonight with Yokozuna as the new big bad boss of the WWE and so that was great for um, you know a legendary champion that he'd go on to be all right we're getting over to the Intercontinental Championship match so this is Shawn Michaels all right the heartbreak kid versus Kona Crush so Crush takes down Shawn early on causing him to rethink his strategy they have an exchange where Crush ducks the super kick connects on the outside with two drop kicks sending the champion out there's an impressive consideration, you know, Crush's size. I forget how big Crush was back in the day. Um, and I just, I actually forgot about his size overall. Macho Man does a really great job putting over Crush. And he basically mentions how him and Crush have had some, you know, battles. Or, you know, actually kind of should have some battles. Which will come at next year's WrestleMania. Um, he goes on to slam Yokozuna. Um, he thinks that Crush will win here and actually go on to slam Yokozuna, win the WWF title. Um, I, Randy, I get what he was doing, but, you know, this guy uh, obviously was not going to be the WWF champion. Uh, Diesel basically gets a cheap shot um, just to help Sean get the advantage. Sean ferociously smashes the back of Crush's head into the ring. There's lots of, he gets him into the post a lot of times. And then Sean targets the head of Crush and they begin to rally. And then all of a sudden, guys, we get... Two Doink the Clowns, continuing the storyline from WrestleMania 9 with Crush. Two Doink the Clowns come marching out. We get a double doink. 
and this is actually played by Steve Karen is the um, illusionist doink, also known as Skinner in the WWF. And then we get Matt Osborne, the original doink, playing himself, of course. And they come out, and so, you know, we get a little distraction there with the double doinks smoking cigars mirroring each other. And then the distraction gives the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels, um, the advantage to super kick crush into the back of the head, and he steals with the pin and the win. And so, winner and still Intercontinental Champion at the 11 minute and 14 second mark, Shawn Michaels. All right, we get now to the final match of the night, which is our King of the Ring Tournament Finals, the Beast from the East, Bam Bam Bigelow versus Bret the Hitman Hart. So I want to point out that Bret Hart has wrestled for about 36 minutes so far tonight going into this matchup, which is just an impressive feat, and he really is the excellence of execution. So while Bigelow went for about five minutes and... Um, you know, he had about a good, you know, almost 80, 90 minute rest before this matchup. So Bigelow coming in, the big man very rested while Brett is still running on who knows what. Um, Hart is limping as he comes out because he has that bad knee from the Mr. Perfect, you know, getting slammed out to the outside. Um, and then basically Big o, Bigelow actually press slams Brett from the ring all the way to the floor and the commentary team really sells it again and they act as if it's all over and it's a really good job by them all night inside Bigelow drops headbutts on the lower back of Brett before he takes a massive bump into the corner Bigelow is normally known for his agile style but he's working a more methodical type big man match here he's focusing everything on the lower back and that was just great you, know, you pick a limb and you work on it as a heel that's your job so every Brett rally is shut down quickly as he takes another big corner bump. Bigelow applies a bear hug because, you know, we've got to have a lot of bear hugs tonight. And he slams Brett before it turns, you know, a little more further. And then more um, at this point, outside, Brett reverses a whip on the desperation and sends Bigelow into the guardrail. So they're fighting all over the place. Brett is selling the fatigue of the night of his first two matches. And honestly, there was a little more to that than you guys will realize, and we'll talk about that in the final thoughts. So, Bigelow catches him and drives the lower back into the post, followed by a slam on the aisle, where there is no padding. And there's just some really, you know, great psychology again there. Luna Vachon comes out, and she nails Brett with the chair from behind the official's back. He brings Brett in and hits the diving headbutt for the win. But wait, Earl Hebner is out and he discusses it with the referee. So Bigelow won this tournament, according to the initial. But the match is announced to continue as Bigelow drives more headbutts into Brett's kidneys. There's a back to the bear hug, which uh, moves to a backbreakers type submission. But Brett res is resilient as ever and rakes the eyes to counter into a sleeper hole. But then Brett dives onto Bigelow and fires off some shots. There's an elbow. Boom. A Russian leg sweep. Bam. And then a second rope bulldog, as you see here, by Brett that led him to actually try the sharpshooter for one of the first times tonight. So Bigelow is powerful, though, and he kicks him off. He runs into the bear hug slam, but somehow kicks out. Brett ends up on Bigelow's shoulders, and he gets a forward victory roll in one of the great iconic King of the Ring moments. And he rolls him up for the win, the one, two, the three, and the pin. And Brett wins and becomes the seventh King of the Ring winner 
and the first televised King of the Ring winner in 18 minutes and 11 seconds. And I want to point out that Bret Hart did this all night without the sharpshooter, which was his go-to finishing move. And if you know anything about Bret Hart, Bret likes to do the little things like that in his stories, and that's what makes him one of the all-time greats. Um, if you guys ever read his book, the Bret Hart autobiography, I highly recommend, but it's a very thick book. It's about 800 pages, and um, it's definitely, Bret gets a little wordy, but it's a good read. Um, it's not WWF produced or WWE produced, so you definitely are getting the real deal raw Bret thoughts. So, we then go to the final, the coronation ceremony. And Macho Man, you know, wants to run into the ring to basically hug Brett and celebrate with him instantly. They discuss how he won the WWF Intercontinental and the tag team titles only to add now this prestige. And as they're doing this, Jerry the King Lawler interrupts to say he's the only real king in the WWE. And this is a disgrace. Brett then counters and says, you know what, if you're the king, why did you not even enter this tournament like I did? So as Brett is wearing his crown and everything, Jerry, and he starts to call him, you're not the king of the ring, you're not a king, you're the Burger King. And the chant starts crowd uh, chanting, or the crowd starts chanting Burger King along with him. Lawler then lays Brett out in one of the greatest king of the ring moments that I just love with the Royal Scepter. And this uh, was a brutal beatdown, which I don't know if you, a lot of you guys know that Brett actually legitimately got hurt here in, by Jerry the King Lawler, which would cause their feud to be delayed. But Brett actually, um, this feud would continue on into the summer with these guys. And little do we know, almost one year later, Brett and Lawler will meet at the King of the Ring event in one of the most iconic matches that I can remember going down. So that was the coronation ceremony and that was the way this pay-per-view ended for the WWE. And they just, you know, kind of went off camera on this uh, angle and this beatdown kind of happened and it was brutal. And actually, Brett actually was like half rolling down the stairs from this little pedestal as Lawler was throwing the cape and the scepters and he was just wrecking the whole set for Brett. So Brett Hart did become the first televised King of the Ring winner and an amazing matchup. I want to go to some final thoughts for you guys on this King of the Ring event. So, first and foremost, I want to say that Bret Hart um, is the first ever, you know, uh, televised King of the Ring winner, and he did it with great endurance. But I want to give you some fun facts about this event. So, the first is that you guys won't know, maybe, is the fact that Papa Shango actually wrestled a dark match on this event. Uh, it was Papa Shango as the champion of the USWA at the time, and he defended against none other than Bret Hart's brother, Owen Hart. So that was a fun little fact. But more facts about this event you may not know. Bret Hart actually wrestled Bob Backlund the night before the King of the Ring for more than an hour and a half, meaning that the hitman would have to wrestle all of his matches with King of the Ring because he actually not only just exhausted, but he actually did get injured in that Bob Backlund match, um, rolling his ankle, which he actually would have to wrestle all three of these King of the Ring matches for all that time while having a legitimate ankle injury. So, you know, again, it probably had to start bothering him after a while, but kudos to Bret Hart for being able to have the stamina and being the WWF workhorse and go-to guy to pull that off. That just makes you respect it even more. The fact that he had that match and he wrestled this event injured. So also, 
Um, remember we talked about Mr. Hughes, right? Well, Harvey Whippleman was the manager of him earlier that night, and we actually would see Harvey a second time that night because Harvey Whippleman was actually the photographer that helped Yokozuna defeat Hulk Hogan in another fun fact. So um, it never became story on TV. However, it was just nice to know kind of who was helping out behind the scenes. And then finally, Brett the Hitman Hart becomes the first ever two-time King of the Ring winner on this night. As we mentioned at the opening of my program here, Bret Hart did win the year before King of the Ring and became the sixth winner of the tournament. And this year, put a crown on it, so to speak, with an actual televised one, giving him the seventh win, which actually makes it him the only two-time King of the Ring winner in the history of the King of the Ring. So, um, Hart, again, won that first version. And this um, basically included like a lot of different wins over a lot of different kind of unknown guys. But, you know, great tournament. Those are my final thoughts. Um, my shout out, you know, obviously goes to Bret Hart for the matches of the night here. Um, he had great matches on all levels. Uh, lots of psychology from the commentary team. And I will say we also did get, you know, some fun, you know, passing of the torch from Hogan to Yokozuna. So, for me, going back and seeing King of the Ring, 1993, was a great winner. And, you know, it makes me excited around this time of year because this is when this tournament was held. And I would love to see the WWE take on and bring this back. And I know they were supposed to do that this year, but plans changed with the Night of Champions. But I'd say let's not give up on this. Let's have the King of the Ring in June every year. And let's make King of the Ring the actual you know, reason if you win King of the Ring, you get a title shot at SummerSlam automatically. Let's make it what Royal Rumble is to WrestleMania. Let's make King of the Ring that, indeed, for SummerSlam. Well, guys, there's all my final thoughts. Now I'm going to go ahead and get out of here. And I want to say thank you again, as always. Remember, like, share, subscribe. Thanks for watching. And that's not goodbye around here. It never is, but it's just what? Game over.